Good morning, church. <laughs> Good to see everyone this morning. Uh, just so exciting to um, hear about what God continues to do, how he continues to build his church around the world, and how we have um, been in the past continue to be a part of that. And it's exciting to be a part of that. Each one of these flags, you, you may not know, but just about every one of them are countries we are represented in. So they're not just by random. Um, some have... Um, have changed through the years, and we continue to maintain those, but we've been in these countries at one time or another, and so I thought that was an interesting fact. You might want to know it's just not flags we chose from, you know, a book somewhere. Each, each flag uh, represents uh, a family, represents a ministry, represents how God is building his church around the world. So it's exciting to uh, think about that. So we welcome you to our second week of Missions Conference. Looking forward to our speakers this morning. Pray for us. One is going to be a Zoom interview, and... Uh, the guys in the back, um, a little nervous about that, I think. <laughs> so pray that goes well. Eddie's, Eddie's our backup, so Eddie's here. He'll, he'll be making sure that goes well, I hope. So we just want to pray about that this morning. Before I do, I want to mention to you um, something that's been on our hearts really a lot and very heavily uh, the last few weeks, and I know it has yours too, and that's the war uh, in Ukraine. And uh, we've been praying about that, and, you know, we're so torn, uh, just pain, pain in your heart about it, you know, and. Um, when it first happened, when Russia began to come on the news that they were going to attack Ukraine, I, I googled Ukraine and I researched it a little because I didn't know anything about it. But 40, 40 plus million people, second largest country in Europe next to Russia, um, in 1991 um, gained their freedom from the USSR. And at that time, many missionaries flooded into Ukraine. I know several that went there. And... Um, so Mark Irwin was one of our missionaries. You'll remember about that time. He went in and began to help to establish and plant Christian radio stations throughout Ukraine. Did that for four or five years. And so now as a result, there are, I said, I googled how many Christians in Ukraine. 71.7% say they're believers. Now that's the Orthodox Church and other things too, but, but 72% believe in God and believe in, I mean, that's, they came out of the USSR. <laughs> So there's a lot of Christians in Ukraine, and there's a lot of Christians down in Russia, too, as a result of the changes the last uh, 20, 25 years. Uh, but Ukraine also sends out more missionaries than any country in Europe, so they're committed Christians. And um, so the question has been, how can we help? <laughs> what can we do? We see it on the news every night, and it just tears at our heart. So I was talking to Dave Anderson, the uh, president and founder of uh, Grace School of Theology, about two weeks ago, and I said, do we have any alumni, any friends or alumni in Ukraine? And Dr. Anderson said, actually, I have an associate there that took classes and graduated, um, Ron Minton. Ron went over to Ukraine as a missionary. He retired, I think. He's self-supportive, so he doesn't need any funding. He went over. He started a Bible college, and in the last uh, seven or eight years, he's had 2,300 graduates from the Bible college he started, and there are 600 college students there now in Kharkiv. So he said, I said, how can we help? He said, well, Ron's actually in the U.S. right now trying to raise support for the college, and he's going to go back in April, and he's going to stage in Poland. There's a, an apartment that he can stay in. There's a church there. There's a friend that will let him stay in the apartment, and he wants to take as much cash back as he can for humanitarian aid uh, for the friends there that he knows and the, you know, the network that he has. And so, um, I got in touch with a guy. There's two agencies, the Sending Church that Dr. Anderson started about 20 years ago. It's, um, it's a church in Dallas. And uh, so um, 
I talked to him about how we can fund. He said, you can go through my home church or you can go through uh, Baptist Bible Fellowship. That's his ascending agency uh, that Ron is with. So I made these cards up, asked Amanda to do that, and thank you for doing that, Amanda. And it gives a little explanation of who Ron is, what's going on there, uh, and that 100% of this donation will go to Ukraine. So uh, between this week, we've raised $10,000 already through just friends talking about it. So if we can gather up some funds. If you don't know how to do the Internet, we put the physical address for because uh, I would just send a check. A check would be fine. Just send it to the church. It has Anything you do has to be de- uh, designated uh, Ukraine Relief Fund. And Ron Minton is the guy's name. And if you don't want to do either of those, you can just write a check to our church and put that same note on there, and we'll see that it gets there. Okay? So we want to make it as simple as possible for you to give. Uh, there's another church in Birmingham, uh, the Star, that's given, given money to this also. They've committed 5000 to it. So uh, we're just doing whatever little bit we can do to help. And the greatest, I think, way that we can help is continue to pray uh, for the Christians, for the people there of Ukraine, also in, in Russia. And I want to just uh, commit our service to the Lord this morning and lift up a word of prayer for that situation in Ukraine. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for um, being the God who you are. You're, you're not surprised by world events whatsoever. You hold the world in the palm of your hand. And we come to worship you as that God this morning. We thank you for being the sovereign God of all the nations. You raise up leaders and you, you bring them down. <laughs> and Lord, we just, we just trust in you with our lives and everything we have. Lord, we commit the situation in Europe to you. Father, we pray, we pray for the believers, the people that are involved both, on both sides of Russia and Ukraine, God. We pray for the people there that are suffering. Uh, Lord, in my mind, since this happened, I've been thinking about the prayer of Asa over and over, where Asa was surrounded by, uh, Lord, a million-man army uh, from Ethiopia. And it says, and Asa cried unto the Lord, and he said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them to have no power. Help us, O Lord, for we rest in you. And, Father, I pray that you would just allow these people in Ukraine, these believers there, to rest in you, to, to give them peace, Lord. Help them to be bold. And give them opportunity beyond their wildest dreams to share the gospel with others, to be a, a help to others, an encouragement to others. We pray that you'd help them not to be afraid, to be strong. Lord, we pray you'd touch the heart of the leaders involved here, for Putin and others, Lord, that are making these decisions. Lord, turn their heart, turn the tide. Lord, I pray that you would uh, put a wall and hold off this attack and, and Lord, just uh, thwart the enemy's plans, so to speak. Lord, just work mightily. Lord, work in the lives of the people in Russia that know you, especially those people, Lord, and cause them to rise up and to to bring about a change. Lord, we don't know the future, but we know that you do, and we trust you with that situation. Father, if it is on our hearts this heavy, Lord, how much more so for those people involved in it on both sides of that border and in the surrounding areas? As Bob mentioned this morning, we have friends and family there in Romania and in Poland and other places that are surrounding this event where we just commit it to you. Thank you that you're a God worthy of our trust, and thank you that you're a God of opportunity. What an opportunity for your name to be proclaimed. Father, I pray you'd bless our service today as we hear these speakers. I pray that we've come to worship you uh, through song and through hearing, and I pray that you would use these speakers, Lord, to stir our hearts to be more, uh, Lord, in tune with you, to be keenly aware, Lord, 
of the opportunities you bring our way to share our faith and to pray and to give and to go around the world with the gospel. Father, thank you that you're building your church and we have the privilege of being a part of it. Bless the service today. We commit it to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning, guys. Great to see you this morning. Uh, trust you're here to worship the Lord. Um, we are excited to hear that. Um, okay. Did you, get, did you get to get one of these cards? I'm going to say they'll be out front. There's some more of them. Most everyone's probably got one. But uh, I asked Norm to put them on the table out front. Yeah. Uh, but the Lord is the one that's building it, right? And so he's the one that deserves all the praise and the glory. And he's the one we want to lift his name high this morning. Let's stand. Let's worship the Lord. Here I am to worship, 
celebration with people of every tongue, every tribe, every nation, right? That's what we're talking about, and that's what this song is about. So let's sing out in celebration of that day. Streets that 
I thought I was second. Uh, well, I'm here this morning to introduce our speaker, Mr. Gene Jordan, who is the Vice President of 
personnel for a Mission Aviation Fellowship based in Napa, Idaho, and I'm blaming him for the cold weather we have this weekend. Uh, and although it was warmer there than it is here, uh, which is quite unusual, but that's the way it is this time of year. But Gene started out as a missionary kid in Ecuador. His parents were with HCJB in Quito, Ecuador, which where Mark Irwin's uh, worked for many years as well. And then he went to Bryan College and met his wonderful wife, Lynn, who's not able to be with us, but uh, he's been with MAF then for many, many, many years. And uh, he is based, like I said, in Nampa, Idaho, and spent 20 years as a missionary in Ecuador. And then he's been all over the world since then working that. So we're real happy to have Gene with us this morning to share with us what's going on with Mission Aviation Fellowship all around the world. Good morning. It is really good to be here. Last time I was here, there was just a little bit of steel up over here. And now it, something happened. It's, it's wonderful. It's good to be here. And uh, the Jordan family connection to this church goes back a couple church generations to the old faith chapel at Huffman. And um, I, I just, uh, a good reason for being here is to tell all of you thank you for your participation in world missions. It's a job that's bigger than any of us, but together we try to proclaim the name of Jesus all over the world. And it's been Lynn and my privilege to have done that with Mission Aviation Fellowship since 1970. 
MAF, and you saw the words on the screen, uses three words to easily define what we do. To bring help, hope, and healing. We use aircraft to do it. We bring help because we, from the very beginning, the people that founded MAF right after World War II decided that, you know, we can't just fly into a village and preach at them. We have to help them with a lot of their needs. So a lot of my flying we termed community development flying, which involved taking materials in to build schools, to build churches, to put in clean water. When I started flying in Ecuador, I learned that most of the families in different jungle villages, and we were flying into 242 different village airstrips, they would not name their children until they were two or two and a half years old. Why? Why would you not name your child? Every village is by a river. Water is so critical for life. The village life, they go to the river, they bathe in the river, their animals get in the river, they use the river for cleanliness, for the bathroom, everything happens at the river. And they will take river water and feed it to their little babies who get intestinal parasites, get diarrhea, get dehydrated, and they're gone. So we don't name our kids because until they're two years old and built up some resistance, they're not going to live. So we worked with different organizations that they would find a clean water source or drill a well, and we would put one spigot in for a village of maybe 80 to 100 people and tell them, you can play in the river, you can everything in the river, but drink from this faucet. It's like, well, <laughs> we've always drunk down there. Yeah, we know, but there's bugs in that water. I don't see any bugs. Yeah, but we have these machines that we can look and we can so drink this water. And those that worked in community health, it, it took a long time. But the communities learned if we drink this water, our children live. And when a missionary is teaching them and says, Jesus says, I am the water of life, it's like, well, yeah. We used to drink that water and our kids died and now we drink this water and they live. And Jesus says, I'm the water of life. It makes sense to me. So we did a lot of community development, flying, bringing help. Healing. You saw some medical emergency flying on the video. About a third or better than a third of the flights I did were medical emergencies or preventative medicine taking doctors and nurses into communities. And in Ecuador, the most, the major region why we launched a medical flight was for snake bite. Now, the Indians would tell me that about 90% of the snakes in the Ecuadorian jungle were poisonous. I rounded that up. As far as I'm concerned, they're all poisonous. But I flew a lot of people out that had been bitten by a snake to the hospital to get some anti-venom to save their life. 
The second reason we flew people out was problems in childbirth. A young mother giving birth, baby's not coming, she's been bleeding for a while, bring her out to the hospital. I can't say that I enjoyed some of the medical flights I did. We had a guy that was working with a chainsaw up in a tree. He had taken all the safety stuff off of it and fell out of the tree with a chainsaw. He was a mess. We took him to a hospital run by HCJB where the doctors and nurses cared for the people tenderly and nursed them back to health for the most part. So I really did enjoy the, uh, the medical flight because there was an immediacy of you did a flight and something happened and you got to see the result of that. If you look at a map of Ecuador, it's roughly a triangular shape. Now, picture in your mind a piece of pie, about a quarter of the pie. You've got the crust to your left, you've got the point of the pie to your right, you're looking down at it, you got that? Take the crust and move it about a third of the way in from the left edge. That's a map of Ecuador. The Andes Mountains are the crust. It runs from north to south. They go up to 20,000 feet. On the west, there's lowlands where they have a lot of bananas, cattle, shrimp. The eastern two-thirds of the country is all Amazon jungle. Now, you're looking at that pie, and it happens to be a broccoli pie because the jungle from up above, looking down on it, it looks like a giant broccoli farm. As far as you can see, broccoli, 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 broccoli. And all throughout that broccoli are small communities, all by a river, like I just told you. So one day I was out about the tip of the piece of pie, one of our longer flights. I delivered some supplies out there, and I had a very unusual flight back to Shell, Ecuador. It was unusual because there was nobody else in the airplane, and, and we hardly ever flew that there wasn't a full airplane, it was just me and the airplane, some empty baskets that I had brought stuff in with. A Cessna 185 will get in the air very quickly when it's empty, and it climbs fast when it's empty. And I went up to 7,500 feet, trimmed the airplane down to go home. It was a beautiful day, which we averaged an inch of rain a day in Shell. And so there was always rain today. It was beautiful. I could see the Andes Mountains. I could see Sangaya Volcano here and Altar there. And I knew that Shell was right there. Didn't have to use my GPS or anything. Just headed home. 7,500 feet. It's cool up there. It was hot down in the jungle. Take me home. Airplane knew its way to the barn. Everything was good. Getting toward the end of the day until the radio came on. They said, Gene, we have a patient in Kuchansa. Can you pick up your patient on the way home? It's like, I don't want to. It's hot down there. It's the end of the day. I'm up here. It's cool. I don't want to. And besides, Kuchansa was a sloped runway. It was down like this. Now, we always tried to land uphill because that stops the airplane quicker. But it was in a little valley area, and sometimes the winds demanded that we land downhill. And none of us like to land downhill, because as you're descending in the airplane, and you want to put it on the ground, the airstrip's descending away from you. So you have to be a little more brusque and get that airplane on the ground, and then try to slow it down while you're going downhill. So Kuchansa was not our favorite airstrip, but 
We were there for that. I turned the airplane, started down, pulled the power back, flew over the airstrip, looked down, looked at the trees, and it's like, shit, darn, I have to land downhill. So I was just a little grumpy. And I put the airplane on and got stopped and turned around and went back up to the top of the airstrip, and there was nobody there. And that was very unusual because when they know the airplane coming, everybody comes to see what the airplane brought. And I thought, well, um, they called for an emergency. I didn't have a lot of power coming down. It came from a different direction. Got out of the airplane, took the door off the airplane to get a patient in, and kind of wondering, you know, did I get the wrong airstrip? And about that time, a young man stepped out of the jungle, and I recognized him. He was a health promoter. Different missions had worked with different young people in communities, and he was kind of like a good first aid guy. He had a little stash of medicine that the government supplied, and I recognized him, and in his hand, in a pretty dirty rag, he had a just-born baby. The child was still all gooey, and it looked to me, and I'm a pilot, not a doctor, that this baby had probably been born prematurely because it was really tiny. Now, if you were going to fly with me in my airplane, I would put you in the seat beside me, lap belt, shoulder harness, vent, shut the door, lock it, window, first aid kit's here, keep your hands off my controls, and away we'd go. So this gentleman brought a tiny little baby, and I had nobody else in the airplane. So he cut down some banana tree leaves, a, a young banana tree that's not bearing fruit. The leaves are quite soft. I made a pile about this big in the bottom of a basket, put the baby in the basket, tied the baby to the seat beside me, and I took off downhill and headed home. This time I did not go up to 7,500 feet. Now, when you're in a commercial airline, you're up at 37,000 feet, there's not a lot of oxygen up there. But there's a little less oxygen at 7,500 feet than there is at 3,500 feet. So I took off at Kuchansa, and I just stayed just above the trees. I called the base, said I was coming, I got a baby, called the hospital, get her car over here. I had about a 25-minute flight, and I spent the flight looking at this tiny little creature beside me, little tiny, tiny, tiny fingers and a lot of black hair and trees. I'm okay, baby, trees. We got to Shell delivered the baby to uh, somebody from the hospital, and they went to the hospital. It's only five minutes away. And that baby spent the first month in an incubator, climate-controlled, being fed by the staff there. If that baby had stayed in Kuchansa, it, it would not have lived. They just don't have the facilities for it. It then spent about the next four to six weeks with one of the mission families, a mom that cared for it and fed it, and dressed it up real pretty and nice and just it was strong enough to go back to the jungle and just the way the uh, flight <coughs> schedule happened I got to take it back and I did thousands of flights in Ecuador and I've forgotten most of them but I'll never forget that flight because we got there and this time they knew the airplane was coming everybody was there we opened the door this young mother came up I'll never forget her face and I gave her her baby back and 
we operated in five different Indian languages, so we learned good morning and goodbye and get in the airplane quick, the rain is coming. I gave this child back to mom and I said, in English, I said, here's your precious child, it's working at both ends. There you go. And I kept track of that child for a, a few years, and um, as it got a little older, three, four, five, and six, they would say, that's the kid that you flew out, you know, a little kid running around. So a lot of flights in healing the people. But the main reason we did the community flights and the medical flights is to bring hope to people that live in darkness, that fear the spirit world, and need to know that there's a God that created them, a God that loves them, and a God that gave a way for them to be reconciled to their creator. Morita Kocha is a strip about 75 miles straight east of Shell, out in the jungle. And um, Kocha is the Quechua word for water. So Morete Kocha. Morete is a little white flower, very pretty, four little petals on it. Morete Kocha is a place where the little white flowers grow by the river. And it was a decent airship. It was flat. But it had a bend in it. You'd land and then you'd have to turn left or land and turn right, depending whichever direction you did. And it was quite narrow and it held water very good, so it was slippery. So you had to keep the airplane in the middle of the airstrip. But it was plenty long. You could just slide until you stopped. And I was on weekend duty and got a call from Morita Kocha that uh, there was a patient. So I loaded the airplane, hopped over to a place that was only four minutes from Morita Kocha, unloaded that cargo over the hill to Morita Kocha, landed, and there was a crowd of people there. I got out. And a man named Ensequa came up to the airplane. Now, that's his Quechua's name. Everybody called him Jorge. And uh, Ensequa came up to the airplane, and in his arms, he had his daughter. She was probably eight or nine years old. He said, Capitan, my daughter is sick. Jorge, let's go to the hospital. Lloyd Rogers was a man that went to Ecuador in 1966, 10 years after Nate, Jim, Ed, Roger, and Pete were killed on the Kudai River because he said, I want to do something for God with my life. I can't win the whole world for the Lord. I can't win all of South America. I can't win all of Ecuador. I can't win the whole jungle. I'm going to concentrate on the province in which those five guys were killed. And he started working in there in education and church planting. And Morete Cocha was a community ruled by Satan. In fact, it was Jorge's father that was a very, very powerful witch doctor. Jorge accepted what Lloyd brought into that village. It ruined the relationship with his father. But he wanted to follow Jesus. So I put Jorge in the airplane, went to take off. Now, in flight school, I learned that when you take off, take off power, everything that the engine's making for you, all the power can do, generally when you make your first power reduction is when the engine is going to fail. So I was taught when you take off and you make that first turn away from the strip, you reduce the power, and if the engine quits, you're already turning, you just tighten up your turn and come right back and land where you came from. At the same time, when you're in that turn, you look at this wing and at that wing because if you fueled and you didn't get the caps down securely, you can see fuel, 
streaming out, you can come back and land and fix the problem. And then you take a look at your passengers to see if they're okay. I took off, turned, reduced the power, looked, looked back at Jorge, and a Cessna 185 with a big seaplane propeller makes a lot of noise, and they're not that quiet on the inside. And it's, Jorge, how are you doing? Doing good. Straightened out, headed back to Shell, and called them, told them I had a patient, we were on our way in, and um, I had about 27, 28 minutes to go, about 11 minutes, 12 minutes into the flight, I got a tap on the back of my shoulder. I had put Jorge behind me holding his daughter. I turned around and tears were just streaming out of Jorge's face. I said, Jorge, what's the matter? He said, Capitan, my daughter has died. I said, what? Capitan, my daughter is dead. Jorge, are you sure? Yes. Jorge, are you sure? Jorge, do you want to go home? Do you want to go to the hospital? I want to go home. Crank the airplane around, headed back. The Indians are sharp. They know that when they hear the airplane back that soon, something changed. I landed, and as I landed, I cut the mixture to the engine because I was going to roll to a stop, and I wanted that propeller to be dead stopped when I came to a stop because I knew there'd be a lot of people that want to the airplane to see what was happening. And sure enough, there were. We stopped, opened the door. They saw what was happening. Jorge explained very quickly. They started wailing and crying. They picked up the child and they disappeared into the jungle. I'm sitting in my airplane just kind of stunned because it, it happened all too fast. I got out of the airplane. I walked around it before I was going to take off again. And I did it very slowly because my mind was not on my flight and I didn't want to miss anything. So I did everything slowly and double checked it. I climbed back into the airplane, got everything ready to go, went through my pre-flight checklist, just about ready to slam the door and get going. And I felt somebody tap my hip. And I looked down, and it was Jorge. And Jorge said, Capitan, I'm sad. But I am not without hope. Because my little girl believed that Jesus died for her, like I believed. And one day, I will see my daughter again. I did the pre-flight checklist inside the cabin again, took off, and I wept all the way home my daughters were about her age and they, they were at home and they were good. Jorge passed away about five years ago now and he's with his daughter. And I'll never, ever, ever forget him looking up in that airplane saying, thank you for bringing Lloyd and the story of Jesus and the Bible so we could have hope. That's what MAF is all about. We do all the flights and uh, it's, it's over a long time that change comes in, and you guys have hung in with us for a lot of years, and there's no way I can thank you enough for that. I loved flying for some of the different people that were doing translations. I was just a dumb pilot. I admire these people that walk into a community, learn the language, reduce it to writing, teach the people how to read and translate the scripture. It's an unbelievable job. And we get to support them day in and day out. This past year, there's been four different languages in the Congo, dialects, that they've gotten scripture in their own language. 
There's been three or four in Papua that have gotten scripture. There's one that's going to be done the end of this year. It is so exciting to see people when they get God's word in a language that they can read. Now, we will show that on a video, but what we can't show is the hundreds of flights of supporting that translating team until they get that day when scripture goes back in. So it's a day-by-day-by-day commitment. And unfortunately, the church in the U.S. likes immediate results. We want to do this to get that to do that and have this, and then we're done. But MEF doesn't operate that way. Since our beginning, we've been committed to work all around the world. And like was said here during the songs, Revelation, John looks out and he says, as far as I could see, people dressed in white with palm branches in their hands, singing, shouting praises, salvation comes from God and the Lamb. There's a whole bunch of theology in that phrase. And it's going to be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so you guys as a church are going to be a part of that celebration because in these flags representing, Brent asked me, is any of these flags Ecuadorian? Yeah, it was right behind us, Brent, right there. And, you know, Jorge is going to be there. And if any of you saw the movie End of the Spear, Minkai is going to be there. And it, it's just going to be beyond our belief. And we want all people to have that chance. And I told you a few minutes ago, excuse me, a few minutes ago that um, I grew up in Ecuador. Brent told you that as well. My parents were missionaries with HCJB. They went in 1951 and found out that they could not have children. A doctor in Michigan that supported them sent them a telegram. Young people don't even know what that is anymore. But a piece of paper with other paper glued on it. And the telegram said, adoption assured, come quickly. And my parents went to the leadership of HCJB and said, this doctor friend has a baby that we can adopt. We need to go back to Michigan. And there's four, four big sticks there. And they said, three of them said, no, you haven't been here for five years yet. You can't go back to the U.S. And David Stewart Clark said, gentlemen, I think we should let the Jordans go back because maybe God has something to this. Like, go to Michigan, don't have any fun, and come right back. So they went up to Michigan, picked me up, and took me back to Ecuador. So I grew up in Ecuador. My sister, a couple years later, was adopted out of Wheaton area, had a wonderful time growing up. I grew up with a St. McCulley, Udarian, Val Elliott, all the kids that lost their dads in 1956. I've always known about MAF. I've never not known about it. During high school, I would go down to the hangar in Shell. And the interesting thing, we're going to talk to Peter Bosca, I think, in a few minutes. Peter's wife's dad was an MAF pilot in Shell when I was in high school and I flew with him and he was a big part of me getting into MAF. I loaded the airplanes, fueled the airplanes, washed the airplanes, swept the hangar, always hoping for a ride. And I, I got a lot of rides and I said, I can do this. I would like to do this. Like Brent said, I met my wife in college. We joined MAF and MAF in all of their wisdom sent me right back to Ecuador. 
So I grew up for 18 years there and went back there for 22, 23 years flying and just enjoyed what I did. MEF asked us to come back to the U.S. in 2000 where I assumed the role of uh, HR personnel for all of MAF and I found out something very quickly. Flying an airplane's easy. People are strange. <laughs> and missionaries are even stranger. But I, I love what I've done. In 2000, I found my adopted family. The internet had, during the 90s, it started to grow and uh, I started poking around and I eventually got a letter from a judge in Michigan that said, why should I release your records? And most kids, most adoptees are looking for records for health history, you know. And I wrote the judge back and I said, I'd like to, if I could find my mom, look her in the eyes and say, mom, I don't know if you ever regretted giving me away, but I had a wonderful life. You never would have found me. I was down in Ecuador. And my records were released, and I found out that my mother died three years earlier from breast cancer. My father died 40, 45 years earlier, alcoholic. But I had four brothers and sisters, and a grandmother, and several aunts and uncles. And I went up to Michigan. I've met two of my siblings. The other two didn't want to. And um, one I met in California. She came out to our house there and had Christmas with us. We read the Christmas story. Her name's Joni, and she said, is that story in every Bible? Yeah. She had never, ever heard the fact that Jesus came as a baby, grew up to become a king and a savior of mankind. She lived a block and a half from an evangelical free church. Now, I'm not taking the denomination at all, I was in Ecuador, flying out in the jungle, telling people like Jorge that there's a God that loved them and gave a way to reconcile themselves with him. And my sister lived a block and a half from the church and never heard that. So really what that does, that throws the responsibility out to you guys. You don't have to be a missionary and go to Ecuador. You can. I had time with the kids and showed them pictures from Ecuador, and maybe some of them, should the Lord tarry, will grow up and become a missionary. Who knows? But you guys have people across the street and a block and a half away that aren't going to hear unless you tell them. So it's good to be here again and see what God is doing here. Thank you for what you've done for us and through MAF. But the responsibility is all of ours. And then, as we sang the song, we can dance with people from every tribe and nation. I'll tell you what, they dance a lot better than I do. It will be glorious beyond belief. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thanks. Two daughters, they grew up across the street from the hangar. Hardest thing we had to do was keep shoes on their feet. They just ran around barefoot. They grew up overseas. And my oldest daughter, Kim, she did a two-year stint on a ship, Logos 2, with Operation Mobilization. We figured if she did that, she'd bring home a sailor. She did. He's Dutch. We love him to death. His mom died when he was 12 or 13. And so he adores my wife. 
and it, we just love them to death. They both work with Voice of the Martyrs in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. My son-in-law is responsible for five African countries where persecution of the church is growing because of the Muslim just rapidly. Uh, I saw out here you have several magazines that VOM puts out every month. That's what Kim does. She's a writer for VOM. And she tells me about trips she's taken after she's done them. Dad, I was in Myanmar. They put me in the bottom of a truck, covered me with a blanket. Yeah, thanks for not telling me. My daughter Kelly is back in Quito, Ecuador, with her husband. They're both involved in youth work with uh, Ecuadorian young people and then students from the U.S. And recently my daughter Kel wrote me and she said, you know, Dad, what I'm doing? The embassy brings down Peace Corps kids. And they're going to come from the U.S. and tell all these people how to do life better. And then they get down there and find out these people don't want to hear from me. And they kind of get discouraged. So Kelly's been counseling young kids from the States, brought down by the government, and they said, you can tell them whatever you want. There's no restrictions. And so she tells them about meaning in life and what, 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 what gives meaning and purpose to life, and she just loves it. And I love her. Thank you, you guys. Good morning. I had the uh, privilege to introduce uh, Peter Bosk uh, to speak to us today. Uh, hello, Peter. Good to see you. Um, my family had the privilege of hosting them a, a few years ago. Uh, they had their son uh, Samuel with them, who is uh, their youngest son. Uh, they also have twins, and I, I do have notes. I can't remember children for some reason, but uh, Benjamin and Josiah are their twins, and uh, Nathaniel, who is their oldest. Um, Sarah and Peter's story began in 1998. Um, Sarah was working at a fishing lodge, and, um, and they got married in 2000, and that's when their story started, and they began traveling the world in their ministry. Uh, Indonesia, Afghanistan, uh, Mali, uh, Botswana, Southern Africa, and Spokane, Washington. Uh, they are now in, uh, let's see, how do I say that? Saldatna, Alaska, right? Uh, with Mission Aviation Repair Center, where Peter is uh, the director. Uh, he's a pilot, as Gene referred to, and I will be uh, facilitating and fielding questions for you, Peter. Peter, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can Great. you hear me? Great. Yes. So, Peter, the floor is yours. Uh, welcome to our missions conference. We look forward to what you have to say. Well, thank you. Um, greetings from Alaska. Um, I'm hoping the Internet will work. Internet is a little different up here, a little slower, but at the moment it looks okay. I wish I was there in person. I just caught the tail end of Gene Jordan sharing and talking about his, his daughters, and one of them worked on the Logos 2, and that was my ship. I worked on that ship as well. So I wish I was there in person to connect with you all. Sorry I'm not able to do that. This is a busy time for us in Alaska with uh, multiple ministry trips uh, that we're doing, and just not easy to, to get away. Alaska feels like a, uh, another, another country, 
um, well, we have to fly over Canada to get anywhere. So um, it's, it's just not as easy as uh, traveling as we would like. Um, we are doing well uh, in Alaska. We've been here seven years. Uh, so this is the longest I have lived anywhere uh, since I was 17. Um, and uh, my wife, after many years of traveling, my wife said, you know, we don't always need to be in a conflict zone or a war zone. Um, and uh, uh, this, this was a great ministry for us to be. Um, and we've been here again seven years. We pronounce it Soldatna, the, the name of our community. Um, and it's a little town of 4,000 people. It's on the road system. Uh, and that's the big issue in Alaska, whether you're on the road system or not. Many people, they think of Alaska as um, just uh, cruise ship terminals and national parks. Well, there's a whole nother part of Alaska beyond that. And those are the native communities that are isolated off the road system that we are focused on trying to reach. So 82% of the communities are off the road system and dependent on air transport. And there's a lot of companies out there, charters and some small airlines that come and go. Uh, they tend to be very expensive. They tend to be limited in their flight options. Most of them head to Fairbanks or Anchorage. They, they don't go to places that uh, fulfill ministry needs. And so that is, that is the purpose of our ministry is to help uh, provide transportation solutions uh, for the pastors, missions, um, churches, Bible camps that are scattered around uh, Western and Northern uh, Alaska. Uh, the ministry uh, was started uh, over 50 years ago uh, by a man who was a pastor out in Nome for about 20 years, and he lost some friends in accidents. Pastors had their own airplanes. Um, pastors don't always make the best airplanes. Uh, I mean, pastors don't make the best pilots, uh, per se, and the pressure to get home to for ministry and such can, can lead them to make poor decisions. Um, and so the founder of the ministry felt that um, he just encouraged people, let me do the flying for you. Let me do the fixing for you. And so he started a ministry repairing the plane specifically for these pastors and missionaries and then doing the flights for them. Uh, that grew. Today we have uh, 17 families, staff families, and seven aircraft um, and then we provide maintenance for these pastors. So they bring their planes to us, we fix them, and we provide flights um, with, our, with our aircraft. Uh, what we've seen grow recently is uh, hospitality. So a family that's working in an isolated village uh, needs to come out and get a break. Um, and so we've provided more and more hospitality. So that's an area we've seen, we've seen grow. Um, Alaska is uh, one of the slowest growing churches in the United States. It's actually in decline. It has some of the lowest attendance in the United States. And if I would use one word to describe um, the spiritual state of Alaska, it's apathy. So the, the state tends to attract people that are uh, anti-authority, uh, independent, do their own thing. I mean, you've all seen the, the reality TV shows, right? Um, so, so those are the kind of people, um, and, and in the native communities as well, there's some Russian Orthodox influence, but basically uh, that just gives them a sense that, well, we know, we know a little bit about white man's religion and we're good with that. 
Um, so the church is hurting. COVID has affected uh, the church significantly in that um, we hear people talking about how much they're enjoying their second Saturday. And so those who attended just out of some religious obligation are not returning back to church. Um, so the churches are in decline. Ministries have struggled too. interior. Uh, the native communities um, have been very cautious uh, because of COVID. Their immune systems are different um, or haven't been exposed to the same, same things when they're isolated. Um, there's a lot of talk about the Spanish influenza over 100 years ago, and, and some communities were completely devastated by that um, and ceased to exist. And so the villages tend to be very... Uh, very concerned and uh, cautious. Uh, so some ministries have come to a complete halt. Uh, there's a number of churches where they just closed the door and the pastor was left for, uh, uh, for over a year. And some of these have not opened again. And so that's difficult, um, especially the missionaries that are living in those places trying to uh, still have some form of, of outreach. Uh, for our program, for our program, uh, we've done well. Um, we've looked for other ways we can serve. We've, we've done more cargo flights instead of people. Um, churches that needed some repairs, we've been able to help with that. Um, and, uh, and then moving missionaries out when they need a break. Uh, so, and a lot of maintenance. So pastors realize, well, this is the time to fix our airplanes. So we've been doing a lot of upgrades on, on the planes of pastors and missionaries. So we've kept busy. Our staff has stayed healthy. Um, and the Lord's been good. Uh, people have been very generous to the mission, even during this time. Um, our biggest concern now as we're looking forward is fuel prices are increasing, and especially in Alaska. Um, although Alaska is a fuel producer, oil producer, uh, the costs are um, improportionate to, to what's happening. Uh, so we have places where uh, fuel, fuel costs uh, $12, $13 a gallon in some of the communities. Uh, aviation fuel, uh, even more so. And so that is that is a concern how that affects uh, transportation. Um, our family's doing well. Uh, Sarah, my wife, she helps uh, as a bookkeeper uh, in, in the office and helps uh, uh, with different activities there, hospitality, and uh, as a director's wife, just making sure none of the staff families fall, fall in the cracks, um, you know, making sure sure that everyone's taken care of. Uh, I enjoy just being at a place where I can have lunch with my wife at work at the hangar several days a week. Uh, the four boys, Nathaniel is uh, 15. He started flying lessons. It's hard to not do that when he hangs out at the airport. Um, and he is homeschooled um, this year. Uh, there are a few schooling options for, for high schoolers in our community. Uh, the other three boys, Benjamin and Josiah, they're 12. They're doing really well and uh, in, a, uh, in a good school. Uh, it is a public school, but probably half the teachers are believers, and most of them attend our church. Uh, so, so very encouraged for that. And then Samuel, our uh, redheaded caboose, uh, the end of the train. Uh, Samuel is, um, he is not, uh, eight. He is eight and uh, also doing, doing really well in school. We bought a home here in Alaska a few years ago, three years ago, so that's been wonderful. Um, just that sense of a little more stability. And uh, the mission has grown significantly. And so that's also encouraging for us to just see 
um, it double in size um, and uh, uh, update equipment and continue to, to grow. Um, things to pray about for us. Um, if you could, when you remember us, if you could pray for the Alaska church, uh, pray for um, the, the native communities uh, that are hurting. Um, many of these communities, if you think of a Indian reservation in the lower 48, um, it's very similar to that, the same kind of challenges, uh, but then they're augmented by the isolation element. And so the suicide rate in these communities is six times higher than the rest of uh, the nation. And, uh, and so, the, yeah, these communities are really hurting, the ones that we're trying to reach. So if you could remember to pray for the Alaska, Alaska church and natives. Uh, and then pray for uh, uh, our faithfulness and our team of just pressing on with a task before us and for safety. Um, we just, uh, uh, one of our ministry partners that we serve had an accident last week, um, no fatalities, but all five passengers had to be airlifted out um, and uh, to to the hospital, and uh, the accident was weather related, and and it's hard hard to see hard to see friends get hurt, and uh, so we ask you to pray for safety for us as well, and then uh, appreciate just prayer for our family. Myself, as I, I lead a team of of seventeen staff families, and and uh, the whole in ministry balancing between ministry and family, and and uh, meeting all our responsibilities as the Lord would intend for us. So that's the update from Alaska. Thanks for letting me share. Great. Thank you, Peter, for sharing with us. Um, and if it's okay with you, we'll see if we have any questions. Uh, we'll certainly be praying for you um, and, and those involved in that accident. Thankful for no uh, fatalities there. Um, does anybody have any questions for Peter? Hi, Peter. Um, are the kids' camps going to be opening this summer? Excellent question. Thanks for remembering that. So um, one, of the, one of the camps um, or several of the camps stayed closed in the last few years, um, especially those in remote locations. Uh, the villages where the children came from, you know, the elders said, no, no, um, we don't want our kids to go. Uh, what was interesting to see uh, some ministries kind of took an easy road um, and, and just said it's easier to stay closed than try to find a way to make it work. Um, but I was really impressed with ministries that said, hey, let's find a different way. Let's, how, how can we adapt and overcome? Uh, so last year, there were a few villages that asked us to bring camp to them. And so some of our pilots would fly to a village and do camp-like activities during the day. Um, and that's normally not what we do. We do the transportation side. Um, but there we were playing Red Rover, Red Rover, and all these games and campfires and singing songs with the kids and, and sharing the gospel. Um, this year, we're hoping for a better response for some of the camps to be open um, that uh, the previous two years were closed. Um, so there are, um, um, last year, we were flying at about 70% capacity. The year before that, um, about 10% as far as camp, camp activity. Uh, in a normal year, our ministry is flying 400 children to and from Bible camp. So basically, we're the camp bus. So we're hoping for good things this year. And so far, it looks like it's on schedule. 
Peter, when we were there, uh, your King Airs were getting a lot of hours on them, and, and we've been praying <laughs> for newer planes or some solution to that issue. Uh, can you tell us an update on that, please? Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, the King Airs, well, they're not getting any younger. Time marches on. So we have two military, uh, former military aircraft. They're uh, U-21s. They were in the U.S. Army. Um, uh, so they're, the planes are both 50 years old. Uh, you wouldn't recognize it if you look at them. The outside looks pretty good. Um, new engines, new avionics or updated, but they are 50 years old and, and the wing spar has to be tested um, every two years. Um, and the wing spar is like the backbone of the airplane. So the last time the plane was checked, um, it required an x-ray. Uh, so we're at the stage now that we need x-rays of the wing spar and uh, fortunately it passed. Uh, we are raising money for a new aircraft. Um, so what we're trying to get is a Cessna Caravan. And uh, a few weeks ago, um, someone donated a million dollars towards that. Uh, so very grateful for that. So we have about half the money for a $3 million airplane, which we hope to put online in, in two years. Um, in the past, we've had several planes leased to us um, at, a, at a very generous rate. Uh, so that has been um, a blessing to the ministry. Um, and at the moment, that isn't the case. Uh, and we could definitely use more, more aircraft. Uh, we were blessed last year that two planes were donated to us. Uh, they were smaller airplanes. Um, and uh, so they meet a specific niche if there's only one or two missionaries. But uh, where we need where we need the most help is when there's a big team or a lot of children to fly. So we're making progress on raising money for, uh, for a larger plane uh, with about a million and a half that, that has been set aside for that already. Thank you. How is the roof coming along? <laughs> we have changed the roof. Uh, so um, we've, we've uh, used our COVID, our COVID time to do a lot of those facility repairs. Uh, so the roof has been um, redone and re, um, the, the new insulation put into it. Uh, we have also changed our whole fuel tank system. So we had an underground fuel tank that was approaching 30 years old. Um, the fuel system was uh, is really our, um, uh, well, so we sell fuel at the airport, like a gas station, uh, to the public. And it's like the widow's jar of oil that just keeps keeps giving. And so... So we'll have um, uh, someone fly into our airport and stop and, and uh, buy fuel from us. And that godless heathen doesn't realize that they're donating towards, uh, towards our ministry, you know, every gallon they buy. Uh, so it's been a great asset to our program just to help pay for the electricity and keep the lights on. But being 30 years old, those underground tanks had to be removed. And uh, Samaritan's Purse, Franklin Graham's ministry, generous gave us one of their tanks. And we were able to buy a second. And so that is all online. And so that, that was a major project that we were able to accomplish. Um, and so now we have a above ground fuel tank system uh, that helps fund the ministry. Um, there's always there's always facility items that need to be fixed and repaired. Um, and winter is harsh here. Um, and so now, you know, the next thing is the pavement, fixing pavement, fixing cracks, potholes in, in uh, our taxiway, et cetera how your list was coming along for the board that you uh, we we clicked ticked it all off last time i just wondered if the list was growing 
There always is. And speaking of that, we love work teams coming up. So your church has come up as a work team. We haven't seen you lately. Uh, we'd love to have the, uh, the church send another team and, and, and help us out. Uh, we have, um, I think, three churches uh, scheduled uh, this summer so far to help us. Any other questions for Peter? All right, Peter, we appreciate you being with us this morning, and uh, we'll be praying with you and uh, seeing who might be interested to come come help do some maintenance uh, items with you. So we'll be praying for you guys, uh, and we really appreciate you. Wonderful. Thank you. One more thing to show you this morning. We've got, of course, many other missionaries that we have not been able to see, that we did not see either in person or through videos or now for the first time ever through Zoom. Um, and we have uh, a family named the Burkmeyers. And I don't know if you remember them. He's been here a time or two and spoken. But Joe works at Mars Hill, and they produce a video called The Hope which shows Jesus all through the scripture. They start in Genesis and work all the way through showing the Messiah coming, the creator that, uh, that it wants to know these people. The unique thing about the hope is that it's, they've got native speakers for so many different languages that narrate the progress of the story of Jesus through the scripture. And so when it goes to a new country, they will have someone from that country that knows the language well and English as well and literally have the, video, the whole movie done in their native heart language. So let's hear it. We've got a video from them today. It's about five minutes long. Let's listen to that, and I'll be back. Hello, Grace Community Church. We are the Burkmar family. Thank you so much for your support and ministry. We've been doing it for 10 years, and you have been there since the very beginning. Your support your prayers. It means so much to us. So thank you so much. I'm, my name is Joe. I'm Jessica. I'm Jake. I'm Jordan. I'm Justin. I'm Jason. Why do we do what we do? Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all that I commanded you to do in his word. And we love his word, and that's why we love the Hope Film because the Hope Film is telling other people about Jesus. But what's really remarkable about the Hope Film is that it's telling people about Jesus in many different languages. With their on-screen storytellers too, with their own people groups. Yep. I think that's what makes it so significant. It's that it's their people on yep. the screen telling them about Jesus and painting the whole picture from Genesis through Jesus and why we need a Redeemer. It's the whole story. The very heart of why we do what we do is to reach the unreached people groups with the gospel. And the whole film is a great ministry tool to make that happen. I just want to say a personal thank you to Grace Community Church. Believe it or not, you are like family because my grandfather was a part of Deerfoot Community for many, many years. And we feel like family. Many of you send me Facebook messages. Many of you send us letters. 
where you actually write two pages and how you're praying for us and what God's doing in your life. And you also send us Christmas cards. So we feel very connected to you as a church body. And we just want to thank you. We can't do it without you. And so thank you for being a part of this with us through this journey. What I want to do now is I want to take the next minute or so, and I want to share with you a little bit more of what we're doing at Mars Hill Productions. Okay, I'm at the Mars Hill office in our conference room. We, we pray in here all the time. I hope you can see this map okay. Um, we have lots of languages going on right now. We have a lot of languages going on in India, and we have languages starting on the Amazon Basin, and that's key for India and the Amazon Basin because there's a lot of unreached people groups in those areas. This is our edit suite here at Marsu Productions. We've been taking the old 35 millimeter, how it was actually shot. We're sending it off to get rescanned to a higher resolution. I take that resolution and I put it back into our, our system here where I can play with the colors and try to re recreate the Hope film so it's a much better resolution. Why are we doing that? So we can increase longevity of the whole film. We're approaching phase two of this update where we are putting in the, the higher, the new introduction, changing out some of the clips that might look kind of grainy and getting that base updated. This is one of our current projects that we're working on right now uh, is updating the whole film. This next project is very close to me. I've been working on a project called PG Studio. PG stands for Pas Glossa, Every Tongue. It is a translation recording software that we, that we have been working on to help support the hope, but not just the hope film, Jesus film, audio Bibles, and many more. This will be a translation tool that holds the process from translation, bad translation, uh, all the way to uh, all the way into final producing of the film. 2021 was a very hard year for us with this app. Um, we've, we, were in, we were going through so many trials surrounding this, this app. But I'm here to tell you, though, that this year we really think this thing can happen. We have a brand new development team working with us. Our goal for this project is to have something available to, to be used in the mission field by October 2022. This is one of our really good projects that we're working on. Please pray for it. Uh, it's really exciting. It's because of your, your encouragement and your prayers and your financial support that we're able to continue pushing forward with this and just um, letting, letting the Lord do his work using, using us and Joe's gifts and talents in television production to do just that. It's humbling whenever we see the Grace Community Church and their support and, and the prayers and little notes we get from people every now and then. <sighs> It goes a long way. It goes a long way. It's more than I can even express in words. Sometimes you'll call me and be like, I just heard from somebody yeah. from Alabama. So cool. I love how God works and how oh, yeah. he uses his people to encourage yeah. one another. So. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, Grace Community Church. Watch out the camera. That's a great family. I can't imagine having that many kids, though I know some of you do. Uh, we're almost done. I wanted to recognize the missionaries that we have here. If anybody is a missionary or has served as a missionary, would you please stand? Come on, Gene. You're one of them. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
we're so thankful that God is working to build his church through people here who are in this congregation working in their neighborhoods, as we said, and those that uh, God has commissioned to go out into the world away from their home. And we praise him for that, too, so that Jesus may be known. Um, you've heard the voice of the martyrs mentioned once or twice today. If you remember last week, we showed the movie Sabina, Tortured for Christ, which was done by Voice of the Martyrs. And Sabina and her husband Richard were the ones, were founders of Voice of the Martyrs. I think I told you that last week. Um, we have out on the tables, this was offered last week. This gives you directions on how to load or download another movie, which is about Richard himself. That's still available. Um, we also now have just got these. It's a prayer guide from Voice of the Martyrs. If you want to know how to pray for different countries, um, they give you directions. They give you um, how the countries are open or closed, an overview of what's going on there, major religions and persecutors, and how to pray for those Christians who are there living or serving. So that's outside as well. Um, and as David told you at the beginning, we have these cards if you would like to contribute to the relief work going on in the Ukraine. I know from another missionary that is involved in the relief work there from Romania, he is making trips into and out of the country, taking supplies in from his churches, dropping them off with other churches who will distribute them, and then bringing the women and children out who need to get out. And the church is very much involved there. They've been networking to where he doesn't have to drive a thousand miles one way and a thousand miles back he can go part way and meet another church where people are being brought and he can take them to another church in Romania who distributes them to Spain to Italy all the other countries Austria so the church is very involved be praying for the church um, last thing I just wanted to read to you from our conference pamphlet, uh, the verse and the theme that we had for this whole conference. The theme was people must know. They must know about Jesus. And here's the scripture that we had for this conference. Romans 10, 14, and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So God wants us to go out. And in, in our church-wide reading in John uh, chapter 17, Jesus said, As you sent me out, so I send them out. So that's our mission, to commit our lives to Christ, whether it's going on a far field or whether it's going across the street and speaking to your neighbors, your co-workers, have courage. The Spirit's there to guide us when you do. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, we praise you for the God of creation, for the God of all wisdom and knowledge and power and ability and love and goodness. We thank you for the salvation you've offered to us through Jesus Christ. I pray that more and more people will commit themselves to spreading that good news around their world and that you will be glorified as people's as souls come to trust Jesus and become part of the family. We look forward to your return, and we thank you for this day in the conference. Amen. And we're dismissed. <laughs>